Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch in Wonderland, Episode <clears throat> 1. Trust not the rabbit hole. Thank you to Chell <laughs> for these titles. I still maintain that that sounds really dirty. It's, it's, it it's only really it's all in your mind, you two dirty birds. <laughs> sure. I'm sure no one else looks at trust not the rabbit hole and thinks that's dirty. <laughs> so uh, we are going to be covering episodes one through three of the mini series in this episode. The original air date of the first episode down the rabbit hole was October 10th, 2013. The writers were the Kitsowitz, Jane Espenson, and Zach Estrin. And the director was Ralph Haymaker. So a lot of classics from Once Upon a Time here. All right. Episode one, Down the Rabbit Hole. In Victorian England of the past, a young Alice returns from her adventures in Wonderland, much to the bewilderment of her distraught father, who feared she had died. And this moment really reminds me of Rose returning home mid-series one of Doctor Who. And mm, having mm -hmm. been gone six months instead of a day and her mom's like, we thought you were dead. <laughs> I also just want to note that I had a note here at this point that said, did Alice use a landmine to get home? Because you literally see a fucking explosion out of the dirt. <laughs> yes! And, it out I mean, and I was just like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I mean, she is played by baby Millie Bobby Brown, so... From those mm -hmm. 11 powers. <laughs> so maybe she was channeling 11 powers even before 11 existed. <laughs> I guess she was just child at large with a landmine. <laughs> <laughs> Due to Alice's insistence that she traveled to another realm, her father consults Dr. Lydgate, who believes Alice ought to be locked up. Alice overhears them and goes on many subsequent adventures to Wonderland, trying to procure proof of its existence. I remember there was an interview when the show first came out and they talked about how the Victorian England here in the show is is actually another world. It's not the land without magic in the past, which I, I think is an interesting choice. That's similar to how Victor Frankenstein was from the world without color. This is another another universe like Wonderland, like the Enchanted Forest. Although I have to say, what a fucking nightmare to be in a world that's just eternally trapped in Victorian England. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no. Unfortunately, Alice is eventually incarcerated at Bethlehem Asylum. While her case is being reviewed, Alice tries to pull a Sarah Connor a la Terminator 2 and deny her Wonderland adventures. But Dr. Lydgate is still sus of her. He taunts her about a man named Cyrus, who Alice still calls for in her sleep. Hitting her while she is still low... Dr. Lydgate offers release in the form of a procedure, which he promises will take away her pain. Alice signs the documents as if she has any legal rights, which is historically inaccurate, but it is an alternate universe, Victorian England. So it is, it is, and I did, I, I've forgotten that. And I was just like, I was watching her do that, and I was like, she doesn't have rights. <laughs> <laughs> but this is fantasy Victorian England, and she can say, hey, I want that lobotomy if she wants to, girl mm -hmm. power. Yeah, girl power. You get that lobotomy, <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> Gaslight gatekeep girl boss your way into having half a brain. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I've heard of a, a man named Rumpelstiltskin who can help you with that. True. <laughs> but this whole opening sequence 
these scenes in the asylum really made me think of the opening of Return to Oz. Except dumber. <laughs> yeah, except Say not it's... as good. Not as good. Some may even chickens. call it a pale imitation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Followed by why? <laughs> yeah. We get a few flashbacks of Alice's later adventures in Wonderland, including Alice snatching some shrooms from a caterpillar who is too high to really do anything about it, and Alice being pursued by the Red Queen's knights through a hedge maze. To ditch them, she eats the tiny mushroom and hides in a discarded gold bottle. We learn that the bottle is the residence of Cyrus, a genie, who welcomes Alice to his home. Alice has finally caught her proof, the white rabbit, to take back to her father, which Rude, don't kidnap the white rabbit. He's your friend, but okay. Cyrus is clearly into her and lets her know that she is his new mistress and as such can be granted three wishes. Some time has passed and Alice's desire to prove Wonderland's existence has been abandoned in favor of traveling with Cyrus. They're on the cliffs overlooking the boiling sea when Cyrus proposes to Alice, who gleefully accepts. Cyrus then takes a moment to lift the glowing red gem on the necklace he is wearing, telling Alice that their hearts are intertwined, and he will know when she is near and she him. Approaching footsteps interrupt their moment, and a worried Cyrus tells Alice to run. The Red Queen and her guards block the exit from the seaside cliff, and a fight ensues. With her couple seemingly taking the lead, that is, until the Red Queen uses her magic to send Cyrus flying over the cliff with a board, oops. I love her. <laughs> Alice calls out his name, watching Cyrus disappear into the boiling water. Meanwhile, in present-day storybook, a cavalier thief named Will Scarlet, who is my best boy and I love him, is enjoying an evening of breaking and entering at Granny's Diner when he is found by the White Rabbit, who needs him to help rescue Alice. Using his magic, the White Rabbit takes Will to the time and place where Alice is being held nearly at the time of her appointed lobotomy. Will breaks into her cell, and Alice is less than enthused with her would-be rescuer, unsure if he is even real or not. Orderlies arrive to remove Will by force, even as he is pleading with Alice to listen to him. However, she does not want to remember, until Will claims that the White Rabbit has seen Cyrus alive, and, well, nothing's impossible in Wonderland. This invigorates Alice to finally fight back and escape, but she does so violently and successfully. Alice straight up breaks a man's neck with her thighs in the scuffle. And you're like, that was a snap. We have no time to unpack hit this. Okay, she killed a man. All right, we'll move on. Miss Alice is a murder hobo. <laughs> she is a murder hobo. She's, <laughs> she's very gay for murder. She's mm -hmm. very gay for murder. The White Rabbit creates a portal to Wonderland, but Will is reluctant to return because he didn't leave it on good terms. Alice reminds him that she got him back his heart. And that now he has to do the same for her. Or he could take his chances with the orderlies and the police that have just spotted them. Finally motivated, Will and Alice join hands and proceed to jump through the portal to Wonderland. In Wonderland, the White Rabbit reveals he did not actually see Cyrus alive. It was in fact the Dormouse who claimed a Cyrus sighting at the home of the Mad Hatter, who hadn't been seen for many years because he was taken to Storybrooke in the Dark Curse and was busy being very handsome. Mm -hmm. Apparently is too good for this now. <laughs> he's making that Marvel money. I was just going to say, way too. he's way too expensive for this show. <laughs> well, Alice and Will get themselves out of a literal sticky situation 
The white rabbit absconds, leaving the pair to argue about their next move. Will no longer believes Cyrus is alive and has no interest in helping Alice on her quest, especially since there is no payment involved. Alice retains her hope and reveals a secret compartment inside the heel of her right shoe and pulls out three tiny shimmering red gems, physical representations of her wishes. Alice has to explain to Will that wishes come with a price, and if she wished Cyrus back, then he might arrive hanging by a tree with a noose around his neck, which yikes. Yeah, what a visual. <laughs> Thanks. Thank <laughs> you for that. For with wishes, there's literally a string attached. They then agree that if Will helps her find Cyrus, he'll get a wish as payment. Meanwhile, the White Rabbit is taken into the custody of the Red Queen, who he is reluctantly in cahoots with. It was she who ordered Alice to be told that Cyrus is alive to lure her back to Wonderland. The Red Queen refuses to release the White Rabbit until the game is complete, and until then, he must be her ears and spy on Alice. Once the White Rabbit leaves, it is soon revealed that the Red Queen is working with Jafar, the vizier of Agrabah. He needs Alice to make her three wishes in order to achieve his nefarious goal. They have a bad guy smolder off. And then this the scene really is too long. They just, they stare at each other for a long, a long time. They both have nice silhouettes, but it's very long. It's, it's very like awkward. painfully long. I'm like, oh my God, there's way too much filler in this episode. Yeah. In the Tolji Woods, Alice and Will notice the wanted flyer for the Knave of Hearts, who is in fact Will. And the flyer says that he is wanted with or without his head, much to his chagrin. Alice asks her friend about the bad things he did after she left Wonderland the last time. But Will is mum on the subject. Realizing that it is taking too long to reach Jefferson's house, Alice decides to gain a new vantage point to see their destination. She removes her boots before climbing up the tree. As she climbs the tree, Will has his eyes glued to the shoes and is tempted by the wishes hidden inside and he quickly snatches the two shoes and runs quietly off with them. Reaching a long, strong branch to walk upon, Alice carefully walks to the far end of it and notices the Mad Hatter's small cottage not that far away. Before she can do anything further, Alice is ambushed by the Cheshire Cat. She makes a valiant attempt to escape, but on the forest floor he has her pinned, telling her that the Red Queen promised him that Alice's meat will be the sweetest he ever tasted. <laughs> Which is weird. Everything Will's... here is weird and off-putting. Where are you drawing a line? <laughs> he is he is such an elder tour. <laughs> Will returns and surprise attacks the cat, using a magic mushroom to shrink the killer cat to the size of a harmless house cat. After Cheshire runs off, Alice scolds Will for trying to steal her wishes, which won't work if they are stolen. And they continue to Jefferson's house, which is predictably empty. No Cyrus, and no Sebastian Stan. He is too famous now at this point for this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he is deep into Winter Soldier right now. Yeah, he's deep into somebody else. <laughs> Stucky for life. That's for you, Ariana. I mean, uh, we used to cosplay that, so. We did. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> we did cosplay Nobody Stucky. sent us to horny jail, but I think we all have to send ourselves to horny jail. Bonk, bonk. Yeah. Horny jail, bonk, bonk. Um, so the White Rabbit returns to them and tries to placate a despondent Alice but she is beginning to lose hope in what will become a habit as she oscillates between believing and not believing Cyrus to be alive at any given moment. Alice discovers the red amulet that once belonged to Cyrus outside the cottage, and her belief is renewed. The white rabbit declares that if it survived a dip in the boiling sea, so must have Cyrus. Ever the voice of reason, Will suggests the amulet's survival was due to its magic. 
he tries to dissuade Alice, but she is determined to follow through. Will reluctantly agrees to continue on the quest as well. We end the episode as a very alive Cyrus wakes up in a cage hanging by a large chain over a bottomless pit. In the flashback, instead of falling to his death, Cyrus was caught in Jafar's flying carpet after the genie disappeared from Alice's view through the thick steam. The entire fight at the cliffside was a plan hatched by Jafar and the Red Queen so that the Agrabah sorcerer could capture the genie. End credits of Down the Rabbit Hole. So, what were you guys' thoughts on this episode? Hey, everyone thought I was exaggerating when I started basically crying in the wrap-up for last season because <laughs> I didn't want to watch Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. <laughs> but now you all know why. It's bad. So bad. Yeah, it's a rough start. It's it's not all bad. It's not all bad. But it's a rough start. One of my biggest sticking points in this episode, in episode one, comes down to this note I have that just says, God, this damn thing wants to be the madness returns so bad it's embarrassing. What's the madness I, returns? The madness returns is, do you remember back in the day there was the computer game American McGee's Alice? Yeah. So... Some time ago, they made a new one for newer platforms that was the sequel to that that was called The Madness Returns. And it opens with Alice back in the real world and like Wonderland's not real, Alice, and her being like, I know it's real and her having to get back to gritty Wonderland. Yeah. I was like, did American Gee ever like sue this? <laughs> I stand by my, it wants to be The Madness Returns so bad it's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And The Madness Returns came out in 2011. So that was two years before this. So I feel like very prime to be. So they're very much like, hey, look how successful that was. Mm -hmm. Look how successful the gritty Alice is. We got to we got to cash in on that American McGee fame, which stop. It also borrows really liberally from Tim Burton's Alice, which I know is technically brand synergy or whatever. But my point is, it's a really pale imitation of the edgy Alices that have come before it with none of the charm. I think that's why, at least for these first two episodes, for me, the parts that actually have worked the best are the parts that are like its own thing, not Alice. Things like, like Will. One of my other large beefs is that Alice Cannon is really large. Like, between the Alice books, you have a really huge breadth of characters. So why then do we need to have someone's OC, Cyrus, be Alice's love interest? I get part of the thing being that making him a genie can tie into whatever possessed them to make Jafar the secondary antagonist of this show, but it just feels random? Like bad fan fiction? I don't know. Sure, at its core, Once Upon a Time is basically fanfic, but Cyrus is like the Kitsowitz's Gary Stew, and I just don't understand at all. Why is he here? Why am I here? <laughs> this first episode is so insanely incoherent. Also, one of the only notes I have written is just nice fucking perm Jafar. <laughs> yeah. Because <ugh. laughs> I stuck on that. The actor um, has a nice... He's got Real nice curly hair. natural curl hair, but that's a perm. <laughs> yeah. They permed that man for some reason. I think they added um, falls. Like, I think mm. they, they added weaves to him. Whatever they did was bad. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. I don't think it's as out of control in future episodes than, than in this episode. This yeah, episode is not, it, yeah, it is not styled. It's just, it looks like, like an 80s, like villainous rock star. You know, and I mean, it's not good in the other two because I found it distracting in every episode we had to watch for this segment. Mm. Like multiple times over the course of watching these three episodes, I found myself mumbling nice fucking perm Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that, 
I immediately liked the Red Queen because I like a Heather Chandler archetype. I'm predictable. And I love Michael Socha, no matter what. He's our sweet boy. But Alice is weak. The character Alice is weak. She and is. the CG is bad. And the chemistry is non-existent. And I had every intention of drinking before I watched these episodes. And I really regret that I didn't do that. I would oh have had a better time. Yeah, gosh, I thought you were. I was gonna, but like, it kept falling between me needing to like, do other things. Mm. So I was like, well, I gotta be sober for the shit I gotta do after I watch this episode. Gosh, looking at Alice versus Emma as our protagonist is just... Oh God, don't, don't, you can't even compare. It makes you appreciate Emma even more because she's so incredible and nuanced and there's so much there. Yeah. So I doubt I even finished the first episode of this when it initially aired because the CGI is physically painful to my optical receptors and brain. Like, I actually think it did trigger a migraine back in the day, but there's just no getting away from it in this show. Like, it really is just like a couple of actors and a massive green screen. That's it. But I loved seeing baby Millie Bobby Brown at the beginning as young Alice. So precious. Also, <laughs> why couldn't we just continue on with her? Ah, <laughs> uh, as far as like adult Alice goes, I'm like, I don't really like her. Like she kidnapped the white rabbit to take him back as proof. And I'm like, well, why didn't you just ask him to go with you? She like, doesn't I ask. I know. I feel like they would have been pals by then. Yeah, she did that with the turtle too. Oh my God. Don't even get me fucking started. Like I already do, do go into a huge rant about that. Also, John Lithgow's American accent is so jarring. Like, it's like, rah, 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 rah. And even though he's also American, the White Rabbit was originally supposed to be voiced by Paul Rubens. And I feel like he would have done a much nicer job as the White Rabbit. But I'm just like, why wouldn't you just hire like a British person? But whatever. But yeah, I don't know. Alice is a tough nut to figure out. Like, she's she's kind of wishy-washy, but then... We meet Cyrus, and he's just a himbo sap. So, I mean, I guess they pair well together. I initially disliked the Red Queen because of her weird voice and the fact that her crown is a bit tilted. But my opinion swings in the complete opposite direction by the next episode. So, also that scene with her and Jafar kind of posturing was like just way too long. So I was just you know taking it out on her. Honestly, uh, I took it out on him. Oh no no no, <laughs> and him. But I was just like, oh my god, get these people off my television. Because I'll always <laughs> side with the hot mean girl. Yeah. <laughs> also, did the nightmare field Cheshire Cat disturb anyone else? Because Jesus. <laughs> yeah. He was <laughs> no, so I loved him. I liked when I, he got small. I was like kitty. <laughs> eat the girl eat her so we can all just be released basically and then i'll be free he's a hero and Yay. then it's a oh it's a buddy story about the cheshire cat and will scarlet now that i would watch yeah like he's just the cheshire cat eats alice and then it just pans over to will with his hands on his hips going chesh not again and it goes <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and then it's just like a light-hearted buddy comedy yeah <laughs> yeah I, cheshire cat and will scarlet romping through wonder together speaking of which i predict that this show is going to be all about will scarlet for me and i don't think i'm gonna care for much anyone else although red queen she she i know she she'll grow on me by the next episode first time around with once upon a time in wonderland lynn and myself only made it to episode five when it was airing and fell behind and just never caught up i've been told by one of our listeners that the show picks up around episode six and I'm I'm looking forward for the show to pick up. I'm I'm curious. My my curiosity is peaked for episode six and beyond. 
And honestly, I trust that listener because they love Neil too. So clearly they're a person of taste Mm -hmm. because Neil. (laughs) But this first episode is rough, as you both illustrated. But but the knave is perfect. Will is perfect. And I instantly want to know more about him. But one of my biggest issues with the show is, is honestly the Wonderland CGI. It's clearly the reused assets from Hat Trick. And they've just, they've aged so poorly. And the ending scene of them walking down the road is just the worst. And they continue to use that CG environment again and again, especially they bring it back like three times in episode three. And it's very frustrating. They do better in episode two. There's more real environments in episode two. I guess you guys covered it. But the other thing that doesn't quite work for me yet in this episode is the Alice and Cyrus setup. It goes from zero to 60. We see their meeting to their proposal. Nothing in between. We don't have time to get invested in them as a couple before they are tragically split apart. And it would have been nice to have had to go through something like like Snow Falls with them to get us invested in these stakes because we're, we're not. We, we just we just aren't yet. Jafar is uh, played by the same actor as Saeed. So I I enjoyed him just because he's Saeed and I loved Saeed. And so I was glad to see him. But I, I don't necessarily think the show needed him. I just loved Saeed on Lost. So I was like, oh, it's Saeed. But I, I don't know necessarily if he brings anything to the show. At least he hasn't yet. I do instantly love Will from Out the Gate. And I think even if I didn't already love Michael Socha going into this, which I, I did. I would have still loved him if this was the first time I saw him was in this episode. I think he still would have been the thing that stood out to me. This was the first time I saw him. So because I I didn't get that far in being human. Nice. He's just he is just done to begin with, but he's still trying. I can respect that. He's a little more he's a little more of an Emma Swan, honestly. Yeah, Um, he's he's very similar to the Emma Swan we meet in season one. Yeah, in, in some ways. But yeah, I'll just take this opportunity to say that if you are listening to this and you love Michael Socha as Will, and you have not watched the BBC Being Human, it's a fantastic show. He comes in in the third season. Uh, It will rip your heart out like 13 times over only five very short seasons. But you'll, you'll thank it for ripping your heart out because it's an amazing ride. I've never been up to rewatching it. (laughs) <laughs> after the first time because my heart was broken so many times but it's it's a wonderful ride he's fantastic in it the whole cast is incredible in it definitely recommend it's dark it's heavy but it's so good all right so we're doing this a little differently since we're going to summarize each episode we're going to do that and do our costumes and guest stars at the very end so now we're going to move on to episode two trust in me the air date for this episode was october 17th 2013 the writer was Rina Mimon, and the director was Romeo Tyrone. We begin many years ago in Agrabah, as Jafar harasses an unassuming man about his sudden wealth. When the man excuses himself and steps into his kitchen, he panics and uses his last wish to wish Cyrus far away from Agrabah, as far away as the earth is to the sun. Enraged, Jafar suffocates the man and asks where the genie went, to which he states he does not know, and Jafar then kills him. But this is how Cyrus ends up in Wonderland. In the present-day Wonderland, Alice has a plan. Find the genie bottle and then make three harmless wishes so Cyrus will be forcibly brought back to his bottle. The knave will then rub the bottle, Cyrus will reappear, and be reunited with her. Bada-bing, bada-boom, you know? (laughs) They then proceed on their journey to retrieve the bottle, deciding to leave the still-sleeping white rabbit, who is actually awake and making snoring noises as he listens to their conversation behind as he has already gone through enough. 
The White Rabbit then reports back to the Red Queen and alerts her to the location of the bottle. When Jafar pays a visit to the Red Queen, they snipe at each other until we, the audience, learn that her motivation is to change the laws of magic, which Jafar assures her he can accomplish with the power of the genie's wishes. We also learn that clearly the Red Queen loves David Bowie. <sighs> she does have a little army of Ziggy Stardusts. Yeah, who are apparently Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yes, they are Tweedledee and Jafar calls them the Tweedles, and I'm just like, why are they, why are they David Bowie? Mm. But fashion. Fashion. But fashion. Along the way to find the genie bottle, Will attempts to place doubts into Alice's head about the strength of her relationship with Cyrus. Annoyed, Alice insists Will knows nothing about the kind of love she has with Cyrus. Their journey is abruptly interrupted by an ocean. Will can't swim, and Alice refuses to walk around, so she summons the fairy fairy, which, to their credit, I thought was cute. Yeah, it really made me laugh. <laughs> it's not bad. And then them clap and clap. They, and and, and, and like the they have to have to they have to clap for the fucking oh, fairy fairy. That, that was, was well, that was okay, that was well that was well. I was like, all right, all right, I'm gonna give you that one. That one was good. The guide Silver Mist appears and promptly slaps Will as they have history together, and he isn't the knave of hearts for just anything. Silver Mist tries to remain professional and takes them across the ocean, but Will ruins it by making a crude remark, causing Silver Mist to drop him in the water below. Alice dives in after him and pulls him to a small lump of rock, which turns out to be a turtle who Alice very cruelly bullies into taking them to shore. She's instead so of mean. she's so mean. Like what This Alice sucks. This Alice just sucks. Put it out there. This Alice sucks. She's terrible. Her outfits are cute, but she's not won any favors with me with this turtle no. bullying. Silver Mist reappears on the shore, stating she is glad to see Will is alive, as she has just learned about the bounty on his head. Will apologizes for what he did to her, but she doesn't believe it. She says maybe his precious Anastasia used up all of his heart. This piques Alice's curiosity, but they continue on their way, only to find Jafar digging up the bottle at the location she had announced. This was actually a ruse to suss out the enemy and to ensure she can really trust Will, which she does now. They move on to the real location by the dandelion hedge, only to discover there is a hole in the ground in its exact place and that the bottle has been found and taken by someone else. Alice, hurt and in disbelief, states that maybe what Will said before is true, and that Cyrus has moved on. I mean, I would. That night, Alice is once again despondent and questioning whether Cyrus has moved on. Will apologizes for placing doubts in her head, again, and Alice tries to push him for information on the mysterious Anastasia. Will remains elusive and remorseful for having placed doubts in Alice again, saying that when someone truly loves you, they can never move on. Just as Alice is about to give up, an origami swan flies towards her. It's a note from Cyrus. From his enchanted cage, he risked immense physical pain to send her this note, reassuring Alice of his love, but insisting she leave Wonderland due to its dangers. Alice then flips the paper over to write, I'm coming for you, on it before folding the origami back into a bird and sending it back off to Cyrus. In flashbacks of the past, Alice releases the white rabbit and asks Cyrus what would happen if she wished for his freedom. But Cyrus warns her not to, as it has been tried before with no good results for either party. There's some imperialism fuckery in that logic. <laughs> anyway, the bigger the wish, the bigger the consequences, he states. Not exactly eager to wish away this handsome guy flirting with her, Alice and Cyrus decide to spend more time together. Over that time, Genie and Human Woman learn more and more about each other, and Alice even learns swordplay from him, with one lesson ending in their first kiss. 
Their blossoming love begins to scare Cyrus as he worries for Alice's safety, knowing he is hunted and that once she has made her three wishes, Alice will move on. Alice offers a deal. She'll never move on from him if he never moves on for her, which, by the way, is a very unhealthy thing to, like, manifest. So, children, please don't ever say those words. Cyrus kisses her in response, and they then decide to bury the bottle. A flashback shows Cyrus and Alice at the place with the dandelion. Cyrus warns that before they buried the bottle, she must know life with him will not be easy as she will always have to keep one eye over her shoulder, since someone will always be coming for him. He asks if she truly believes love is powerful enough to give them their freedom, to which she responds she believes theirs is. In a moment of insecurity, she questions if he does as well, and would have proceeded to, to go on to suggest alternatives if he had not interrupted her to tell her that he will never leave her. They then proceed to bury the bottle. As they walk away hand in hand, the camera pans over and the white rabbit can be seen a little ways away from them. After Jafar's ill luck finding the genie bottle, he visits the imprisoned Cyrus and demands to know the correct location. The Red Queen appears before Cyrus can say anything, claiming to have the bottle. She says he gave her good advice that morning, that she should take respect instead of earn it. Jafar, surprised and in disbelief, asks if she has the bottle for real, to which she demands that he stop underestimating her. Jafar demands for her to tell him where the bottle is, but she suggests they start changing the game with a new rule. No more talking down to her. Which, good for you. Good for you, Red Queen. Good for you. She states she had intended on revealing the bottle's location to him, but decided against it as she did not trust him because their relationship is not mutually beneficial. But now it is, as Jafar has the genie, and she has the bottle. So that's the end of Trust in Me. What are your thoughts? Okay, so the first thing I have to talk about, because I was stuck on it, was the clothes horths. <laughs> Since I was like, how the hell did she get new clothes? And the show went, the clothes horse came by. What the fuck is the clothes horse? And why does 90% of what Alice wears in both the show and concept art look like it came from Kohl's? Is the clothes horse a traveling Kohl's? Like the mobile Amazon truck that goes around? Honestly, I took too many notes going on about the clothes horse. This is the abridged version. Like, good job, Once Upon a Time Wonderland. Your funny one-liner derailed my brain for, like, a week. Of the three episodes we're getting through in this bit, I think this one was the worst, or at least the most boring. Mm -hmm. Like, I actually mm -hmm. fell asleep four times during it, so maybe I missed any good parts that there were. But other than my new hyperfixation, the clothes horse, who will be the subject of my new dissertation, <laughs> my takeaways from this episode were that in trying to make this Alice not your mother's Alice or whatever, she's just kind of mean and unlikable. And I mean, you can make a character be braver or more tough than their source material without going that way. Once Upon a Time did that really wonderfully with Snow White, but with Alice, they seem to be falling into the pitfall of a lot of media does, that a girl needs to be cruel in order to be tough, which is a trope I am very sick of. Also, I struggle to find any reason for Jafar to be here. Like, I love the Red Queen. I love a bad girl. She could carry this whole thing as the only villain. Shoehorning him in feels unnecessary, and honestly, a lot like Spider-Man 3, where they decided they needed so many villains instead of having one with a meaningful plot, and that, like this, suffers for it. I still think it'd be possible to make a compelling love interest for Alice, even one that she would still need to save, without mixing cannons and adding an extra antagonist. It just feels like they're trying to do too much with too little. Yeah, for me, I think some things in this episode were better, some things were, were not. I don't know. I just, there's things I wish they would have done 
storytelling wise different in these first episodes I think as far as Alice and Cyrus goes these scenes are a little better in this one than the last episode I've decided I'm more on board with Cyrus in this one less on board with Alice because she did not need to be mean to that turtle and she would have nicely asked for a ride like she literally was threatening like slitting its throat and I'm like Jesus Christ girl <laughs> like she's mean and then it's like yeah, oh, she's literally just out for a swim there was no reason for it and Will keeps being like, oh, I need to be a better person for you because you are Alice. And you're like, well, no, she's not. I think you are a better person than her. And Cyrus uh-huh. seems to be a good person. But I don't know what's going on with Alice. But yeah, I think I am I am more on board with Cyrus because he's he's a lovesick himbo who makes message birds. And I can roll with that. He's soft. We're good. We cool. Cyrus, we're friends now. We can hang out. I also enjoyed the Red Queen a lot more in this one. I like the juxtaposition between her obvious fear in those scenes with Jafar and her desire to present herself as a queen to rival the likes that we've seen with Cora and Regina at their worsts. I definitely find her, at this point, one of the more intriguing characters. I'm mm-hmm. interested to see where she'll go. Also, Will continues to be the light of my life. Bless you for being here, Will. There's less CGI. A lot of the time they're spent in actual forests, you know, one of those beautiful Canadian forest scenes we know from Once Upon a Time, and they just have like prop mushrooms everywhere. It looks good. It, it looks fine. It looks so much better. Just keep with that aesthetic. Keep in the woods. Keep Wonderland props. Keep it simple. It looks better. No more of that yellow and red brick CG road. I hate it. <laughs> also, this episode gets a point for me for the joke of Alice and Will clapping for the fairy. Because it really made me laugh. A plus on that gag, writers. It's, uh, I think, one of the funnest moments so far. Mm-hmm. So there's this scene where the Red Queen is getting her feet aggressively scrubbed. And I laughed my ass off because that is 100% what I would do with power. I'm just like, just scrub my feet. Pumice it. <laughs> like, she is a brat and I'm kind of loving her for it. I'm like, yes. I don't need a bad bitch. I need a bratty bitch. I like this. It's <laughs> great. Because they made her very different from Regina, which I like. I'm glad that they didn't like have like this one note kind of character. You know, mm-hmm. she couldn't be Regina. We've seen that. And I appreciate them for going like in, as Lynn so eloquently put, the Heather Chandler. <laughs> she <laughs> like is. Her. She's a Heather Chandler. Yeah. She is. Yeah. She's totally Heather She's Chandler. a mean blonde and red. Yeah. <laughs> Also, hurrah for Silver Miss, a canical friend of Tinkerbell, I believe, right? Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Lynn, movies. Yeah. Lynn owns multiple Tinkerbell movies and can confirm this. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, I know that fairy. Mm-hmm. She's she's a friend of Tinkerbell. Fun, mm-hmm. fun uh Tinkerbell once upon a time fact is in uh last movie, The Never Beast, Fawn is played by Jennifer Goodwin. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Also, that movie's really good and will make you cry. <laughs> Honestly, the soapbox. The Tinkerbell movies are honestly quality. I've heard this. I know people wouldn't think that, but they're honestly quality, and I deeply love them, especially the OG one that's just called Tinkerbell. Mm. It's delightful. And I've never seen the OG Tinkerbell one. I own it. We should watch it. I mean, I think we could probably watch it on Disney Plus at this point. Yeah. Which yeah. is good because the... I don't know where half of our DVDs are. The um, Never Beast, because <laughs> I watched that with my niece. They're in the really abyss good. that is your garage. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Pirate Fairy is also very good. Oh, yeah. We watched that one on plane. Mm-hmm. I remember and, that. Uh, Jessica Chastain is the Pirate Fairy. Mm-hmm. Aw, cute. It's very good. Well, the scene where uh, Silver Mist is like flying Will and Alice over the ocean kind of made me feel very nostalgic for like 1970s and 1980s like level of special effects on yeah. kid kid programs. 
I was like, oh, this is very BBC Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, ooh, like, you know, over like really like schmaltzy music and shit. Also, Cyrus's cage is made from silver, which has which apparently has an adverse effect on him. And I I legitimately cannot find out if this is from Arabic lore or fucking supernatural. I know because silver is bad for fairies. Werewolves. But I think that's, that's also a, a fae thing. Some some fae stuff is silver is no good. Some fae stuff, right. But well, I, okay. I, Here, I, as far as I know, it doesn't apply to genies. I could be wrong. Here's the thing. Here's where like usually silver comes in to that kind of lore is silver is seen as like a holy metal. Mm-hmm. And so it has its roots more in Christianity. But I, mean, yeah. I definitely mumbled that's werewolves under my breath at that point. So. Yeah, I know. I was I'm like, I, I kind of shot a look and I was like, okay, I'm hitting pause and I'm doing a Google search and everything was coming up supernatural because I guess they fight a gin and they use silver to like defeat him or whatever, oh, whatever the fuck. Yeah, and I was I like, remember that. and I was like, well, is this just a fucking supernatural thing that they just kind of like tilted their hat to or that some lazy writer was like, I saw that in Supernatural, so it must be true. And yeah, I'm just probably. like, oh, probably. Probably. So, I know that I know that lots of people have taken things on Supernatural as gospel and it's been like, that's not like, that's not a thing. That's that's, that's not, not a thing. thing. They, they did that for the show. Yeah. Anyway, I felt so bad for that turtle who was just minding his own business mm-hmm. before getting threatened bodily harm. I wish poor little mortal of the ancient one had just yeeted them off, like mm-hmm. just did did like a barrel roll and and just like zoomed off, like fuck you guys. Yeah, she'd be like, well, Will can stay, but you got to get out of here, Alice. Yeah, really. Also, I agree with Lynn. There was no need to mix fairy tales. Like, mm. I think Jafar would have been a much superior villain for Once Upon a Time, and then they could have brought in like Agrabah and like their characters and all this kind of shit. And maybe they do. I don't know. Don't tell me because I'm now at a place where I don't know. But I'm like, do you know how many fucking characters Alice in Wonderland has? So, so many. many. The canon so, is so expansive. You don't so need to expansive. go outside of it. It should have been the knight. Mm-hmm. Remember the 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 charming knight? Was he the white knight? I forget. But like, there's like a there's like a knight character that Alice meets, played by Lloyd Bridges, and they have a very sweet little duet in the musical which i'm going to force you two to watch you say that like i need to be forced to watch a musical any like ever it's four hours yeah all right and she's like bring it i'm so excited (laughs) i'm bringing i'm gonna bring my dvd do you guys even have a dvd player we have playstation okay yeah okay playstations play dvds okay great i'm bringing it over we're gonna do this i'm down i fucking love musical theater oh my god yeah my co-hosts were too young to have seen this on TV when it aired. Like, I don't, I don't even think Glenn was born yet, but I saw it. It was very formative and I own the DVD now. Thank you, Canada. So <laughs> like I could name five characters off the top of my head who Alice could have theoretically fallen in love with. Even like oh, yeah. one of the other chess pieces. I think one of the other chess pieces would have been amazing. Like, like there's more than one Alice book and they're not like super short either. No. And each of them has like a bajillion characters a piece. Yeah. It would be so easy just to stick to Alice Cannon. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's the same, like, it's the same problem with Oz, too. Like, they're, I'm like, they're, they're, they're dipping their toe in a canon that has such an expansive, beautiful history and beautiful, like, world building and characters that you don't need to fuck them up with, like, by mixing them. And uh, they they just do, like, they do the bare minimum. I think the problem is they wanted to replicate the formula, the, 
success of Once Upon a Time proper and all these different storybook characters intermingling. And so they try to you know, replicate that here, but it just feels a little unnecessary, or at least three episodes in, it feels a little unnecessary. I think the little bit we get in episode three feels a little more natural. With like the Knave of Hearts also being Will Scarlet. Great. That, that's a good one. Let's do that. And sure. I'm like, why wouldn't you have Jafar for once upon a time? Like, that's that's an amazing, like, world to open up in, like, the main series. Yeah, and they got a fantastic actor to be him. Right, exactly. I'm like, oh, my God. Poor yeah, Naveen. Like my, He's my just, like, fucking Jafar waste. is not the actor. It's, yeah, Naveen it's, Andrews is incredible. It's, it's an I feel the character is unnecessary. It is not. Oh, yeah, yeah. None of my hate. Put it out oh. there. None of my hate is directed at the actor. Yeah. And yeah. he does, he deserved a better plot than this. I mean, like exactly. said, we're, 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 you know, just a couple episodes in right now, but like, I don't think they're going to, I don't think it's going to get any better than this. Yeah. I don't uh. think they're going to give Naveen Andrews what he could have done. It's it's just like with John Carlo and Once Upon a Time. They didn't give him what he should have had. Right. He could have been an incredible villain. Right. And they don't give that story to him. Right. Let's move on. We got right. one more. We got one more episode to get through. We we can do oh, it. Oh no, it's mine. I know, but, but it's the shortest. It's the shortest. Okay. And probably the better episode. I think so. It's the most cohesive so. episode. Yeah. yeah. I think it's the best of three, yeah. but we'll we'll get to that later. I need yeah. to head down and get through this damn summary. <laughs> okay. We're gonna we're gonna shut up. Just let okay. you through. We believe in you. Episode three, forget me not. It aired October twenty-third, twenty thirteen. It was written by Richard Haddam and it was directed by David Solomon. Here we go. Here we go. Buckle up. As all magic comes with a price, Jafar cannot outright steal Cyrus's magic. He must wait for Alice to use up her wishes so he may obtain the bottle fairly. Eager to get Alice to use one of her wishes, the Red Queen and Jafar team up to harass Cyrus on what sort of nasty creature to send her way. Okay, but this scene started and they're just there at that dining room table. Yeah. And I just turned to Lynn and I was just like, why does it seem like a poly couple propositioning a third like, hey... We saw you across the bar and we like your vibe. I thought the same thing. <laughs> because it was. They're just yeah. like, they're making weird sexy eyes at him from across their table. Yeah. Bar, yeah. And I'm like, okay, everybody here needs to keep it in their pants. <laughs> bonk, 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 bonk. All bonk, three bonk. of you are going to horny jail. All three of you, because honestly, Cyrus like kind of makes this like eyebrow waggle. What's all this then when they show up with all the food? And I was all like, that poor old man this? who's in the other cage. You're just I like, he's like, he's like, he's like, hi, I'd like to be executed now, please. <laughs> Could it be my turn? <laughs> Kill me. Jafar reveals the letter Alice wrote back, but tears it up before taking out a large tome and going over nasty critters. Judging from a look of fear on the genie's face, Jafar and the Red Queen decide on sending the Bandersnatch. Meanwhile, Alice is pleased to have Will with her as he can think like a thief who stole the bottle. Will suggests using a magical object called the Forget-Me-Not to look into the past and learn the identity of the culprit. Since the caterpillar has the Forget-Me-Not, this poses a problem to Alice and the Knave because the caterpillar has all of Wonderland hunting the ladder down. The Knave says that the caterpillar has a penchant for deals and that he'll make one in exchange for the Forget-Me-Not. They travel to the seedy Underland, directly ripping off Tim Burton at this point, where they discover that the caterpillar does not possess the Forget-Me-Not but a man known as the Grendel. Will and Alice strike a deal. They'll receive the knot in exchange for erasing all of Will's debts. While on their way to confront the Grendel, Alice is unsure she wants the corrupt caterpillar to have such a powerful item as the forget-me-not. 
Will asks Alice that if there was a way to be with Cyrus forever at the expense of someone else's suffering, would she take it? Alice decides that is not an option, but the knave points out that it could be an option in the future. It should also be pointed out that, like, she thinks about that for a second and then goes, well, that's not an option. Look, it's like, I, you like, bitch, you would take it in a second, wouldn't you? I see you, right through you. I know. I, I was like, you, you're already threatening innocent animals. Like, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> She definitely would take it in a heartbeat. I, I think she would, but then I think what, what stops her, she goes, oh, Cyrus wouldn't like that. Yeah, because <laughs> Cyrus would not. Cyrus would not. Cyrus wouldn't. I interpreted her just as being like, well, I don't have that option, do I? Or I would have done that by now. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Because that's kind of the way she does it. She was kidnapping the white rabbit. That's true. She was pretty elusive. Right, yeah. Like, that's that's not an option is not exactly no. Yeah, she like dodges the question. He says, would you do it? She goes, well, that's not an option I have. (laughs) And it's like, that's not answering the question. (laughs) Anyway, let's get through this. Okay. He asks Alice how much is it worth to be reunited with Cyrus. They then fall into a trap just outside the Grendel's house and find themselves bound inside. Grendel is staring into the knot, watching a man and a woman being cute and in love. He knows the memory line for line. Inspired, Will turns on the charm and speaks to Grendel, realizing he is the dashing man in the memory. Will advises Grendel to put the past behind him and move on. Grendel does not want to move on and threatens his captors with an axe. Fair. Will and Alice eventually free themselves and nearly escape, except that the Bandersnatch has arrived, because why not? It tears up Grendel's house, but Alice and Will successfully take it out. Because again, why not? Which was the plan all along, as Cyrus had taught Alice everything about the Bandersnatch, and knew she could easily take it out. Having been saved by Will, Grendel affirms they're even and allows him to leave with the forget-me-not, which he stole from the Red Queen in order to relive his memories of his deceased wife. After Will and Alice leave, Jafar and the Red Queen visit Grendel and trick him into revealing that Alice is with a man called the Knave before Jafar kills him. Using the knot, Alice and Will discover that the White Rabbit was the one who dug up the bottle and gave it to the Red Queen, which maybe if Alice had kidnapped him, he wouldn't have turned on her. But hey, what do I know? (laughs) Just say it, Alice. (laughs) Because she waxes all philosophical. It's like, why would he do this? We are friends. I'm like, bitch, you stuffed him in a bag. Come on. (laughs) In the end, Will decides to burn the forget-me-not in order to keep it out of evil hands. Because he a good boy. Because he a good boy. boy. Throughout flashbacks of the past in this episode, we are taken to the Enchanted Forest where Will Scarlet is first introduced on his inaugural heist with Robin Hood and the Merry Men. At the post-heist celebrations, Robin Hood explains to Will that being a Merry Man is not about being a thief, but by helping those in need. Which, you know, cue the Robin Hood Shrek from Shrek. I take a percentage, but I'm not greedy. (laughs) I was thinking cue cue the Men in Tight song. I mean, my wife would prefer that, but that's what I was thinking. Because I just was, the whole time, all I think was, I steal from the rich and give to the needy. I take a percentage, but I'm not greedy. (laughs) (laughs) It's Miss Surehood. (laughs) Will then tells Robin Hood that there is another place where they can get even more gold and help those villages in need. He suggests going to Maleficent's castle. At first, Robin Hood disagrees, but Will convinces him it's to help the poor. Robin's kind of an idiot. <laughs> no, he's, he's, so, he's so he's earnest. So, I know, and I'm like, and That's Robin's nice kind of a, Robin's kind of a slut for helping the poor. So he's like, yeah, sure, yeah, let's go poor. fuck with one of the most Robin powerful just, fucking sorceresses in the land. Robin just fucking bibbles his bottom lip and goes along with it. I guess. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Big old dum dum. I love him. 
However, while there, Will disobeys Robin's strict order to only focus on the gold as he pockets a small silver-framed mirror for himself. Despite Maleficent discovering the theft and warning the Merry Men that its consequences will be insurmountable, and being subsequently thrown out of the Merry Men in just the saddest, oh my god, scene ever. <laughs> I was t- So this scene happens, and I was telling you, Lisa, all I could think of was the scene in A Christmas Story where no one wants to admit to having dared Flick to lick the pole. Oh, yeah. And the teacher's just like, the guilt you feel will be worse than any punishment I can give you. And it's just like, grown-ups like to say all that. We know it's way worse to get caught. And that's yeah. all I felt like during that scene when he was just like, no, I'm not going to punish you. I'm just going to be disappointed in you. Know. And He's... you'll have your guilt. And, and it's Will like... did not give a shit. No, and Will's just all like, cool, man. Okay. Will out then? Whatever. I don't care. Bye. (laughs) Still got your stuff. Peace. But anyway. (laughs) Enjoy helping the poor and shit. Bye. 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 I was poor and I helped myself. (laughs) Will keeps the mirror and takes it home to his beloved Anastasia, who is no other than the enchanted forest version of the Red Queen. She promises Will a world with magic and opportunities beyond their imagination. Using the mirror, they travel to Wonderland. Then it's over. Then it's over. (laughs) So let's talk about the CGI Eldritch Horror of the Caterpillar. I don't wanna! (laughs) I did not like the Caterpillar. (laughs) So like last time we saw him was in Hat Trick. And he was just like chilling on a shroom, being voiced by Roger Daltrey. And now he's a kingpin voiced by Iggy Pop. (laughs) And I'm like, fuck. (laughs) also i literally shouted keep the sarlax name out of your goddamn mouth when the red queen suggested using it to go after alice because i was like do not cross fucking ips especially that ip (laughs) keep star wars not the sarlax personally it's star wars that you took issue with it is Star Wars. Yeah, I, took all the I, Star I was Wars. trying to figure out what your Sarlacc yeah, was. Like, like, Rachel like was the Sarlacc? I was like, no. I don't understand. It's just a hole with teeth. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just like, keep, like, keep Star Wars like out of this. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank and you for clarifying because I was just like, I don't know how to feel about the fact that Rachel loves the Sarlacc. <laughs> I do not love the Sarlacc. I think the Sarlacc, I mean, Thank serves God. a purpose, but he is not my Mew Mew. He's not my little Mew Mew, you know? <laughs> I have well, other like little... Andor. No, my little Mew Mews are droids. Droids and the rancor. That's why we got you the sippy cup that was covered in bot box. Yeah, exactly. I have a sippy cup covered in bot box because bot bots are my Mew Mews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Sarlacc is not. No, no, no. The okay, thank is, God. Continue. The, <laughs> if she had said, what about the Rancor? I would have said the same thing. I probably would have been 10 times madder because I I'm, I actually have an emotional attachment to Rancors. But Okay, you know, good. I was just genuinely I do not for the worried that you had a thing for the Sarlacc and I was like, no. oh no. When Alice and Will fall into the trap and Grendel looks down on them, I wrote, a Cardassian trapped them? What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't I did like Cardassian. Yeah. 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 Like like when he was like looking down and like shadows were on his face. I was like, is that wait a minute, Deep Space Nine? I'm like, oh my God, they're just fucking with all sorts of IPs here. What the fuck? Also, I laughed out loud at the audacity of the Merryman just walking into Melissa's home as if she wouldn't notice wherever the fuck she is. So it's just like, oh, okay. We're just gonna go into Melissa's castle, I guess. Why yes. not? There's no rules. You guess not. No rules. Let's do this. I got unreasonably excited when the Merry Men showed up when you first saw a uh, little John. I was just like, 
I know them. I felt so comforted by their presence. <laughs> uh, the same with Leroy and Ashley in episode one. I was just like, hey. But they used that damn CG Wonderland Road for like three different scenes between Will and Alice. And I wish they didn't because really distracting. And I, I don't know why they keep using it. They did so good in episode two with the on-location forest scenes. Like, I, I really wish they would use these CG environments less. When it's like an interior of a place, it's fine. That's once upon a time style. But these exteriors are so harsh on the eyes. Just give me the Canadian wilds with some prop mushrooms any day. It looks so much better. Anyways, besides that, I was really glad to hear Kristen Bauer as Maleficent again. I just adore her. And I wish we could have seen her as well. But it was nice to hear her be ominous to the Merry Men. It was fun. The Merry Men make a boob joke, and I was not expecting that. Uh, I thought that was important to bring up. I was just like, did you just make a boob joke? Just made a boob joke. <laughs> and then it was really funny, because right after that, just they had Robin being such a disappointed dad when it came to Will, and I found it kind of endearing. He was just like, I'm not mad, Will. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> and and it, was, it was really it was good. I liked it. My favorite scene was probably the end reveal with Will and Anastasia. She looked so lovely in her cottagecore pink peasant dress and the delicate flowers in her hair and just all that softer makeup. I thought from the very few moments we saw them, I was like, oh, her and Will seemed very sweet together. Um, this was the first big moment of the show where I went, I want to know more about where this is going. This was the first twist that I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, okay, I can do this. Let's let's do this. I want to know more about this. Is it my turn? It's your turn. I will admit I spent too long sitting there trying to wrap my brain around the implication of canonizing a Star Wars creature when Star Wars has already been established as fictional within the universe of Once Upon a Time. So therefore it shouldn't exist and the Red Queen shouldn't know about it and probably didn't need to tell the internet I had this moment, but whatever, if my wife had to hear about it, so do you. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, the CG is the absolute worst in this episode. And I'm just baffled by how they managed to get Iggy Pop just to waste him as a CG purple turd. Mm -hmm. Also, I know that Once Upon a Time is basically canon soup, the TV show. But having this one specifically denoted as in Wonderland, yes, I'm being a dead horse, makes me feel like we should really just be dealing with Wonderland canon for the most part. I know that won't happen, but I hoped. But I will admit that even with the canon soup, I sure didn't have let's add Beowulf to the mix on my bingo card. <laughs> but all that said, of the three episodes we had to choke down for this week, I maybe liked this one the best. Potentially because it was mostly about Will Scarlet and I care about him and his puppy dog eyes. Me too. Yeah, I so think this one's my takeaway. Not as bad as it could have been. Yeah, there you this, go. Yeah, yeah. This was this was definitely the best one so far. Mm -hmm. Like um, episode three, you could have been worse, Pat. Pat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I will say this: as soon as like we saw Will waking up in his little cottage, and we only see like his girlfriend from the back, I was like, "Oh, it's a red queen." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> "I was like, oh, okay." I guess they a little bit have given us crumbs to this point. Because there's the way she very specifically gets like a nose curl when the knave is mentioned. You're like, yeah. what's going on I there, boo? It's been interesting me watching these because the first episode I remembered pretty well. And and the second and the third, there was definitely parts I remembered and the parts I really didn't remember. 
The one main thing I remembered about them was Will and the Red Queen back when it was airing. Mm -hmm. You were like, you're like, oh no, I ship it. Yeah, I still do. Yeah, no, they're good. I, I'm good. Well, I'm I like it because it's like the two decent like characters, characters of this yeah. of this like, show. Yeah, no, it's I, I stand by it. They're the only like, characters I care about. And... Yeah, and I'm like, oh, well, good. They have history. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm interested. I'm interested to see where this is going with them. Yeah, now I yeah. actually like. I'm not saying I'm looking forward to going forward with this, but I am. I'm not as dreading it. Yeah, there's something that. something to look forward to in each episode. It's mm-hmm. what's going to go on with this plot. Mm-hmm. It's my life raft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. basically will and the red queen are kind of my life raft for this whole thing like it's bad i'm stranded at sea but at least here's my one thing i can hold on to <laughs> another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about costumes. Woo! Um, I love, love Anastasia's pink Enchanted Forest dress. Oh, so cute. Also, I'm going to give credit where credit is massively due. I'm applauding the correct use of a corset over the chemise when we see grown Alice escaping the asylum in episode one. And that chemise was perfect looking, you know? It wasn't too frilly, but it wasn't too plain. It was like perfect for like a girl of her, let's say like class. I do like her adventuring outfit because it's light pink and long-waisted, purple corset. I, I agree with what Lynn will say, though. So, Lynn, I agree with you. Um, I like that they didn't make Jafar look like the animated film version, but they gave him, like, his own sinister look, despite the shitty hair. Like, hair aside, you know, the actual, like, dress and stuff was... Well, not dress, but you know what I'm saying. His outfit was good. I think we can call it a dress. Okay. His dress. It's nice. I like it's a it. nice dress. It's a nice dress. So I get that it looks like something you could get from Kohl's, but I I do like Alice's purple like flower dress as well as her adventuring outfit. Specifically, I'm not the, saying the, the flower purple. dress is ugly. I'm just saying I bought something like that from Kohl's. No, it's super cute. And the the purple like waist adventuring waistcoat, uh, I think it's really really nice. It's a, a nice look. When she first showed up in the adventuring outfit, I was like, did she steal that from Jefferson's house in the last episode? I could see Jefferson wearing that. But then immediately they're like, it's from the clothes horse. And I was like, okay. Horse. <laughs> sorry, Lynn. Sorry. There's no way you're just like the clothes sorry, horse. Sorry, you mentioned the clothes horse. My um, mortal enemy, the clothes horse. I wage war at dawn. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the Red Queen's looks. And the first two episodes, especially episode two, that was my favorite Red Queen look so far was episode two. And I especially loved her enchanted forest pink peasant look. Absolutely lovely. And I loved Will's Enchanted Forest look as well. He looked so sharp. So that hair and those flashbacks looked amazing in the third episode. Fashion icons. So good looking. Love them. Um, so with the exception of the all stretch red velvet number in episode three, I pretty much dig everything the Red Queen wears. Like, I love her get up in episode two so much it actually makes me angry how much I love it. 
and like everyone else her pre-red queen pink outfit at the end of the third episode is obviously the best but she's also easily the most well-dressed character in this show i've only really liked alice's undergarment outfit not that the other outfits are bad but they feel too department store for me alice in wonderland is a story of whimsy and well wonder and i feel like the costuming should be more fantastical to reflect that like if alice is going to magically get an outfit from the clothes horse it shouldn't look like something i should be able to buy in a department store it should be fantastical looking it's from wonderland will looks good and everything because michael socha is adorable i can't forgive jafar's perm i know i've already said this but i don't care i hyperfixated on it every episode why'd they do that to that poor man why'd they give him a perm they didn't need to they didn't do that at all <laughs> that's what i got all right it's time for once upon a timeline i'm i'm gonna do it i'm gonna i'm gonna place these within the greater timeline so far so basically placing these three episodes flashbacks within the timeline of the once upon a time episodes we have covered so far on the podcast so just seasons one through three i did consult the timeline on the once upon a time wiki for these ones it's extremely helpful and I've actually learned some surprising information about where these things go. I just did not have the context clues to place it myself. So thank you so much for all the hard work over on the wiki making that timeline. Or several timelines, because they have a timeline for each realm, which I love. <laughs> all right. So the flashbacks in Wonderland Episode 1 that show Will and the White Rabbit in Storybrooke actually take place during season three episode one broken the storm they are encountering is the same one caused by the wrath hunting regina so our, our favorite episode where where david breaks jefferson's hat with his butt <laughs> I, I thought this was kind of a fun detail and i was excited to learn that then we have the younger alice in wonderland flashbacks and the alice and cyrus meeting in wonderland flashbacks and all of those take place after Regina pushes Cora into Wonderland via Mirror in the flashbacks in season two, episode two, We Are Both. So Cora as the Queen of Hearts is a presence here. Next, the flashbacks in season one, episode 17, Hat Trick, take place during the time Alice and Cyrus are adventuring together. And then once Jefferson loses his head, Cyrus falls, or we think he falls, into the boiling seas. And Alice returns to her realm. Next flashbacks that then would take place are those seen in season two, episode nine, Queen of Hearts, where Hook brings Korra back to the Enchanted Forest. And there, the Dark Curse is cast. So Cyrus is actually held captive by Jafar throughout all 28 years of the curse. So sorry, bud. The present day Wonderland storyline, so the, the non-flashback part of the show, those begin after the dark curse is broken. And then Will, you know, gets his memories back in Storybrooke and Will and the Bright Rabbit rescue Alice from the asylum. And now let's talk about the Victorian England realm. So the young Alice storyline kicks off all that we know about the Victorian England realm. And the flashbacks there have pretty much gone in order so far so yay linear while looking at the victorian england realm timeline i was spoiled a little bit that we do visit this realm in once upon a time proper in season six and it sounds absolutely insane 
And that's all I'll say about that. I don't usually read the summaries in the timelines for episodes I haven't seen. I try to skim past it without getting any details. But I was just so surprised to see a non-Wonderland entry here that I, I had to know. I'm not going to tell my fellow narrators, but I had to know. So that's all episode one. All right. So next we have the flashbacks in episode two. Those take place between the scenes that we already saw in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland episode one, specifically between Alice and Cyrus's first meeting and Cyrus is falling in the boiling seas. So those flashbacks are all centered around Alice and Cyrus falling in love. And then the flashbacks in episode three, those ones took place in the Enchanted Forest. And they actually took place between those we saw in season two, episode seven, Child of the Moon, and season one, episode 12, Skin Deep. So that's where those like earlier stages of the Merry Men took place. And that's it. Now it's time to play Who's That Guest Star? In episodes one through three, we have Johnny Coyne as Dr. Lingate. English actor Johnny Coyne is a character actor best known for his roles in Merlin, Alcatraz, Gotham, The Blacklist, and OG Twin Peaks. Sean Smith as Edwin, Alice's father. Scottish-born Canadian-raised actor Sean Smith is known for his roles in Pity Pony, Steal This Movie, Fringe, The Killing, and Supernatural. Millie Bobby Brown as young Alice. If you don't know this badass actress, you're really missing out. She's 11 in Stranger Things and Enola Holmes in the films of the same name. Keith David as the voice of the Cheshire Cat. You know Keith David, even if you don't know him on site. Keith David has voiced dozens, maybe even hundreds, of well-known characters, such as Goliath from Gargoyles, Dr. Facilier from The Princess and the Frog, the President on Rick and Morty, Glossaric on Star vs. the Forces of Evil, and David Anderson in the Mass Effect video games franchise. You are welcome. Lynn, I put that in for you. Space Dad! Space Dad. He's also, my Space Dad! Also the Kit Kat and Coraline. Also the Kit Kat and Coraline. Yes. He is also a face actor with notable roles in The Thing, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which I did not know, They Live, and Black as Night, which you can learn about in my secondary podcast, Vampires Ruin My Life, hashtag shameless plug. Keith David's voice is phenomenal. Fucking phenomenal. So good. Fucking phenomenal. Iggy Pop as the voice of the Caterpillar. Since 1967, Iggy Pop has been the frontman to the proto-punk band The Stooges and has also enjoyed a solo singing career. He has been acting regularly since the 1990s with roles in such titles as Crybaby, Coffee and Cigarettes, Tank Girl, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, The Crow, City of Angels, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and the English dub of Persopolis. Jordana Largi as Silvermist. Man, I totally thought this was Rachel Bilson and I got excited when I first saw Silvermist. That's okay though. Jordana has made an excellent career appearing in many made-for-TV films such as If I Only Had Christmas. A Royal Christmas Match, and When Christmas Was Young. In television, Jordana has guest starred on shows such as Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries, Morning Show Mysteries, and Supernatural. I wonder if she's been in any of Christmas movies with um, Victor's brother. I think, so. I mean, there there is overlap between her and both Once Upon a Time actors and Once Upon a Time Wonderland actors in some of these Christmas stuff. Steve Bassick as Grendel. Canadian actor Steve Bassick has enjoyed a plethora of roles in titles such as The X-Files, Beastmaster, the television show, X2, X-Men United, Stargate SG-1, Andromeda, The Guard, Big Love, Spooksville, Arrow, and Supernatural. 
So yay, it's time for our rants and raves. Okay, Elise is going to talk about one of the things we did together, so I won't touch on that, other than I made three costumes in less than two weeks, and I think everyone should ooh and ah at me for a minute so I feel better. Thank you, because that was fucking exhausting. You're so talented. (laughs) You are talented. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very tired. (laughs) Other than that, uh, hey, recommendation incoming. I recently read a book called Spear, which is a lesbian retelling of the Sir Percival legend. And it's honestly really good. So yeah, if you like Arthurian legend, but like queer, it's a good book. And short. It's maybe like 200 pages. I'm not good at selling things. I don't do sales. Read it. Or don't. I don't get anything if you do either way. Lynn <laughs> and me went to Sweetheart's Night at the Disneyland. At the Disneyland. At Disneyland. At the, the Disneyland, huh? At <laughs> Disneyland. Which is why I made three costumes in under two weeks. You Where? should tell people what the costumes are because they're very impressive. So went to three separate nights of Sweetheart's Night. And the first night we were Snow White and Cinderella as brides, which we already had costumes because we debuted those at D23. Night number two, we were Mary Poppins and Bert in their jolly holiday outfits. And then night three, which was actually Valentine's Day, we were Aurora and Prince Philip. Oh, but what kind of dress were you dressed as for Aurora? A color-changing dress that went blue and pink. Yes. <laughs> I showed that to my friend whose, like, number one complaint is that there is not enough Aurora blue dress merchandise or, like, at least there color- isn't. or colorway changing stuff. And I showed her your outfit and she was, like, over the moon. That makes me very happy because, honestly, like, pink is my favorite color. I am a pink girl. I prefer blue dress Aurora. I think it's prettier. I think it's sleeker. I think it's more stylish. I like the colorway. I mean, I love the colorway, but when there's before before we had fabric that could do cool shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was the are you a blue dress or a pink dress? Even though I am a pink girl, I was one hundred percent team blue dress. Hmm. I just think it's classier looking. Fair. I love the blue dress. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Sweetheart's Night was really fun. My favorite part was dancing at the royal ball. Aww. I I love it so much. And all the characters were very sweet. Where was the Royal Ball? It's like in the walkway, like when you're going, you know where the storybook boats are? Yes. If you turn around that corner and you're walking towards It's a Small World and there's kind of just that big old expanse between that and It's a Small World. Uh-huh. There. That's where they pop the ball. Oh, that's and very clever. The- yeah. And they've already got all like the built-in speakers there because that's one of the parade paths. Uh-huh. So they just run the music that the live band is doing through the speakers they already have for the parade and it's a good big open area for a lot of people to dance in nice it's a delight the other than that i already recommended it but never after on dimension 20 continues to be amazing the last of us continues to be a phenomenal adaptation of one of my favorite video games they've done an incredible job with it but of course we've, we've already talked about both those things and oh yeah i went to walt's barn in griffin's park for the very first time so did lynn we went with our friend Crystal, and it was really fun. I was wondering where that was. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was in Griffith Park. My God, that's so mm-hmm. close to me. That's like 15 minutes away. It's only open one the Sunday, third a month. Sunday of every month. Okay, still, I can do but that. It's, and it's free, free to enter. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Like they're they're like if you if you can give a donation, we appreciate it, but it's not required. Did you guys also go on the carousel? No, it's not open to the public right now. To my understanding. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is the fastest merry-go-round I've ever been on in my life. It is <laughs> so fast. Like, you always have to hold on. You're like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I would love to go on it one day because I freaking love carousels. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like, I think one of the oldest in the country. I mean, that carousel is the reason we have Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So respect. So uh, despite having some pretty serious health issues, thank you everyone for your patience. (laughs) I still had an excellent time at Gallifrey One, the Doctor Who convention here in Los Angeles. Jodie Whittaker was the guest of honor and I would be lying if I said I didn't cry like a little bitch being in her presence. (laughs) Like she's just a good human being. Like her, her inner radiance is just like this beacon on the foggiest of nights, you know? I love her. Oh, I love her. And Chris Chibnall was there and I didn't know a whole lot about him. And I went to a couple of interviews with him. And I have to say, out of the three showrunners of New Who, I would rather talk to him. I'd rather have, sit down and have a beer and a conversation with him. Uh, absolutely. Honestly, same. He's... He really, yeah, yeah, he's, he also was like in way more, he was like in other panels, you know, just like about like kind of not who stuff like, oh, writing for TV and uh, the future of like comic. I don't know. You know, he like, he did other like geeky kind of things and he was like actually like pretty involved. He was very, very kind. But yeah, Jody and Chris Eccleston back in 2020 have been the most treasured moments of this con for me. And I appreciate that Galley One also has like multiple interviews with these big headlining guests and to get different angles and perspectives. So some of the interviewers were, yeah, you know, your average whatever, like white man. But then we, they also have like women, LGBTQ folks and women of color, like we're featured just a lot more which is always an endorsement for me to continue to support the convention. I also got to meet other podcasters at a meetup and co-host a panel on vampires. So yay for bonus new friends and connections. Woo! Me and Lynn used to go to that con every year, but we haven't been back since I think 2015 was our last year we went. And I think my first year was 2018. But it has lots of lots of special memories for sure. It was it's, it's a special con. It's yeah. a special con. Yeah, I would like all four of us to eventually like go one year. That would be so cool. It's a good time. It's a good time. It's a wholesome time. <laughs> it is a wholesome time. It's very wholesome. All right. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch in Wonderland. As Alice and Will continue their quest to free Cyrus, we learn Jafar's origins and also discover what happened to Will and Anastasia once they took the plunge into Wonderland. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch in Wonderland. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, we're doing this for you, Will Scarlet. Only you, our rotten soldier, our sweet cheese, our good time boy, our Blorbo, our Blorbo from our shows, our little Mew Mew. <laughs> our little Mew Mew. Talk fairy tales with us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Tweet us at once upon rewatch. Participate in episodic polls on Instagram at Once Upon Rewatch. Follow us at Once Upon A Rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. The artwork for our podcast was by Lychee Ruru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. 
And if you don't know who this bad actress is, you're really missing out. She's it's 11. A bad actress. Oh my God. Okay. If you like, don't know- go back, go back. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know this badass actress, you're really missing out.